This is Ozarks at Large, a brand new podcast produced here at KUAF drops today. It's called Undisciplined. Host Dr. Karee Banton talks with academics, activists, creatives, and more about how African and African-American studies intersects with their fields and areas of study. Today, we're going to play an excerpt from the very first episode, which is a conversation with a professor of African-American studies at UCLA. This is Undisciplined, academic by nature, undisciplined in practice. And so to help us unpack the history and beginnings of African and African-American studies, our guest today is Dr. Scott Brown. Good to be with you. Now, Scott Brown is a professor of African-American studies at UCLA and the vice chair and director of graduate studies in that department as well. But he's so much more than that. He has written a book called Fighting for Us, Mulana Karenga and the Us Organization, and Black Nationalism. Dr. Brown was the editor for Discourse on Africana Studies, James Turner and the Paradigms of Knowledge. Now, James Turner was a pioneer of African and African-American studies at Cornell University, one of the hotbeds of rising African and African-American studies across the United States. And Dr. Brown reached out to former students of James Turner to write a book about how their work had been grounded in the foundational learning they got from Africana studies. So I had his former students and his writings in the books. Rather than say he's a jolly good fellow, I said, well, if you want to see the depth of this scholar's impact in institution building, then you can also look at the quality of the work of his students. So that's sort of a subtle way of making an argument of how there are so many unsung women and men in this story that we could spend hours and hours talking about. And one way of intervening is to not just show their own work, but also show that they are great pedagogical leaders and teachers who have trained other people. And it gave me a great sense for how this social movement that shaped my interest in the first book also moved to create institutional space and get us thinking about what the original ideas were. Can we talk a little bit about that, Scott? There were some original ideas that are intrinsic to this idea that we're calling African and African-American studies or Black studies. What are, what are those ideas from your perspective? Well, I think it comes from the much longer tradition throughout the Black world of people of African ancestry using the production of knowledge, research, as a tool in their respective and shared freedom struggles. So education for liberation, so that, you know, even if you deal with just literacy, Frederick Douglass struggled to read, Malcolm X's struggle to read by a light in a prison cell, all those kinds of energies that are put into creating knowledge are driven by a purpose, that purpose being liberation. Freedom. So the traditional academy, the Western academy that the Black Studies advocates in the 60s entered was one that said the best scholarship is that which is divorced from these kinds of concerns about politics, about you know this thing called objectivity or a certain level of detachment is a much better approach. 
And black studies turned that upside down and said, actually, a relevant education, and they use that term relevant a lot in these different arguments. And, and Howard University, before San Francisco State, because Dr. Nathan Hare, who was at Howard University, leaves and goes to San Francisco State. But the question, the term was relevant. And what do they mean by that? They meant education that was accessible, ideas that don't need to just be packaged in university press publication and circulated at conferences, ideas that are accessible to people, that empower people, that these spaces would be an asset to the communities that are on in, in, in the midst of a constant struggle. So that's an entirely different point of view. Like, remember now, in the 60s, terms that universities like to throw around now weren't in the mix. There was no discussion about community engagement, civic engagement. You see, that's something that's actually the outgrowth of these kinds of struggles that took place. So what the students were up against was a very, very, very stern commitment to political detachment. And as a result, we've been able to create some space for that. And so that was the original idea. I like to go back when I teach my classes on the Black Studies Movement. I like to look at student and early manifesto that say what the objectives are for how, what was the early student vision. And you'll find that, that was a very, very progressive vision around the question of access to education. And so many of these departments, I, I believe, you know, a lot of places have cultural centers or they have auxiliary units in the community. That was, you see less of that now, but that was a part of the original vision that it would be this notion of a community. Yeah, the university is not just there to be a space, non-clave of elitism in the city, that it's actually a part of the community itself. And both physically and intellectually, there's movement and people coming and going and ideas coming and going and inventing themselves in different ways. I love that you mentioned all these freedom fighters, whether it was Frederick Douglass or Malcolm X, and these students who are fighting to get African and African-American studies into the university. And this, what brings it all together is what you said, education for liberation. That is the connecting thread, and it is at the heart of what Black Studies is trying to do, that we're not going to create this enclave of, as you said, elitism, where, you know, we're living the life of the mind, <laughs> you know, the strenuous work. All the ideas are circulated among educated people um, at conferences and in books that are inaccessible to the general public. And so, you know, one of the big pillars of African and African American studies was that, as you said, the relationship to the university. And so we can probably give props to Black studies for making that community. Absolutely. But, you know, as is the case with almost any social movement, once you institutionalize and you create positions of power, you know, there's ways that bureaucracy, there's ways that the wider institution and wider agendas can also cut into the 
progressive ideals that brought that institution into being. And that's one of the ironies that I talk about at the end of Discourse on Africana Studies. I say that while in the more recent years, there's been terrific and important advancement into democratizing the way we think about Black communities. So we're much more attentive to intra-community and intra-racial hierarchies. So we'll talk about the LGBTQ community. We'll talk about class stratification. We'll talk about inequality within the Black community. And that's a very, very important step forward as opposed to sort of talking about the Black community from the idea that really it's Black male spokespersons that represent the entire experience. And so that's important. Here's the irony, though. That important step forward happens at a time when the discipline of African-American studies has actually become more conservative, meaning that it has become much more professionalized, much more mainstream in the idea of what constitutes its scholarship and its project. So that's sort of the, the challenge here. On one hand, you can have a conversation about Black sexuality. You can have a conversation about classism in Black communities. You can have a conversation about colorism in Black communities. Unfortunately, as that has happened, we don't have the kind of openness with respect to who leads that discussion and what constitutes serious research on those issues. So if you look at, for instance, the great Department of African American Studies at University of Massachusetts at Amherst. There was one point they had great jazz musician Max Roach was teaching as a professor there. You had people like John Henry Clark, who's a self-trained scholar, self-trained. He's not academically certified by the academy, but knows so much more than most people in it. And he's able to teach at Cornell. You can go on and on and on and on and see that those doors that were open were much more expansive idea about participation and knowledge have been uh, uh, narrowed substantially. That window, that opening there has been, hasn't been closed fully, but it's getting close to becoming very much like the dominant discipline. We lose something the more African and African-American studies get co-opted by the university as an institution. Exactly. And so that's the part that I think is the challenge. How do we, in this moment of renaissance, it's never going to be exactly the same. I don't believe that you have to have this kind of this reverence for the past as if it's a golden age, but we still can be inspired by the spirit of it, right? And so in that spirit, I have strived, and of course, it's always a, a striving. Uh, I strive to find ways that step outside of what the Academy certifies as production. That was Karee Banton and her guest, Scott Brown, from the first episode of Undisciplined. Karee Banton is the director of African and African American Studies at the University of Arkansas. You can listen to the entire episode right now. Well, why not wait 45 minutes until the end of Ozarks at Large? You can listen to it when you want, wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to subscribe for free so you never miss a new episode scheduled to be released every other Wednesday.